our first place, walking home with a whopping 250 BSV coins. Uptime SV. Woohoo! Congratulations. Uptime SV is the Australian startup which won the CoinGeek Hackathon earlier this year. Its idea is to allow businesses to check their online presence in different places on different devices and conduct other technical tests. To do that, Uptime will recruit an army of ordinary people who will allow their devices to be used for testing. And in return, they'll receive micropayments in Bitcoin SV. At the recent CoinGeek conference in Seoul, South Korea, I spoke to Dean Little from Uptime about the BSV ecosystem, how China is forging ahead in Bitcoin, and about his own amazing talent for languages. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. So Dean, Uptime won the hackathon at the Toronto CoinGeek conference. Yes. How's it been going since then? A lot of hard work really. Um, so uh, for us, we're, we're not just interested in building our business on this blockchain, but we're also looking at how we can uh, build solutions to the problems that we've come up against in building on this chain so that uh, we can release those to other people so that we can uh, rapidly increase the value of our own investment. Um, so we've been working on a lot of solutions um, to to sort of the problems that we've come up against in terms of uh, things like uh, transaction management, uh, identity and um, address resolution, things like that. So we've been mostly focused on building the solutions that our business will be built on. Um, And then in the past uh, month, month and a half, we've been more focused on the business itself and uh, getting it ready for our, our launch date. Because that hackathon was intended to encourage people who were going to help uh, onboard yes. users yes. to Bitcoin SV. Yes. It seems like you have hit upon something that could be a useful business yes. in itself, yes. and not just a sort of manipulative way of onboarding people. Is that right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, so with, with uptime testing, uh, I guess the, very simp- the simplest way I could sell this is a use- usable business. If you're asking one of the big enterprise customers like Amazon or Tencent in China or uh, you know Microsoft, is my website online or not? If they say your website is offline, it's probably offline. But if they say your website is online, it doesn't necessarily mean it's online to your end users because they're using a very different type of architecture, hardware, software, DNS solutions to what your typical end user is running. And until this point in history, it's never been possible for me to send a very, very small fee to somebody to run a check like this. So um, consider trying to do something like that with PayPal. You know, there'd be like 40 cents in fees to send you a one cent reward for checking if my website's online. So this data is uh, much more valuable than uh, what, what a big uh, enterprise customer could actually give you. However, until this point in history, there's never been the money mobility to enable that to happen. Um, so it's a, it's a very exciting uh, place to be. Uh, right. So yeah. as I understand it, you're recruiting sort of the little guy yep. to do the work, yep. checking whether these sites are online, for instance, yep. and they get paid a small amount of BSV Correct. for their services. Um, 
what stage have you reached? Are, are, do you have a sort of population of those people or is that still to come? So we've uh, we released our uh, beta sign-up form about a month and a half, two months ago, and we received over 500 sign-ups for that. Um, we're, f we're currently just finalizing some of the stuff on the server side before we invite those people to participate in the closed beta um, later in October. And um, yeah, after that, it's going to be a full release. And yeah. I mean, sort of in a way, it should be an easy sell because as a as a one of your testers, it is just sort of free money, basically, isn't it? More or less. I mean, there are some considerations they may want to make. Like, for example, uh, we also offer load time testing, right? Now, if someone had a 100 megabyte website that's very poorly optimized, you know, they might not want to be doing that on mobile data. But uh, on because they'd have to pay, right? But um, you know. At the same time, if that's uh, if that's what we're dealing with, if that's the uh, sort of problems that we come up against, we can price around that. Hmm. So uh, it's very much uh, a market that is that has never existed, and therefore there's no way to really do price discovery other than just going out and doing it. Um, but yeah, we definitely foresee that it's going to be very cost effective, and this data is going to be worth a lot more than um, you know in terms of business intelligence um, than. Uh, what any of the big providers can uh, can actually give you, especially in in terms of things like uh, internet censorship, political stuff. Um, what you mean, so that you'll ask users in different places whether they can see something? Is that right? Right. So, like uh, recently uh, in in, in uh, Australia, we've had certain websites blocked by ISPs. So the same has happened in Hong Kong. The same happens whenever. You know, there's a there's a political uprising somewhere where people are unhappy with their government. Their government shuts down the internet. So um, it's it's important for people to be able to sort of uh, see what what's going on. Like I fully support um, uh, I fully support someone's uh, right to um, you know try to enact laws in their country, even if I disagree with them. Um, but to do so without transparency is is wrong. So that, I mean, I can sort of see that potentially your customers for that kind of service might be governments who want to sure. see yeah. whether censorship in another country is effective or what's happening. Yeah, look at the trade war right now um, between the US and China, right? We know China censors the internet, but the US could just as easily be censoring the internet. How, the chi how would China know, right? So uh, I guess this whole thing is about transparency and honesty. Right, so you're thinking in terms of the Chinese government might be a customer wanting to see what hey, they... I'm sure it'll, be, I'm sure it'll go both ways. Yeah, the, yeah, point is that the point is to reveal the truth in the matter as opposed to uh, letting it all sort of happen behind closed doors and no one knows what's going on. Hmm. Um, you know, if you're a business and you're, you know, every business these days is, an, is a global business really like... Uh, even if you're running a small store in your local neighborhood or whatever, you're importing things. Mm. You know, um, if you're building something in your own country, you're exporting it to other countries. It's uh, it's important that in times of this like geopolitical unrest, that you can have some kind of data, some sort of way of uh, figuring out uh, how you, you know how your business is doing in this greater macro environment, and you know what's disrupting it. Just going back to the the sort of business model of yeah. that, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I'm thinking that one rather sort of fortunate aspect of your business model is that you have this uh, population of testers, but actually you don't have to pay them until a sort of job comes in that is a commission that they will get paid for. Is that right? Yes, that's that's correct. Um, and I, I guess uh, 
that's that's one of the benefits of uh, this kind of uh, payment model. You're not like locked in. Uh, you can come and go at any time if you're not happy with it. You know, you can you can you can go elsewhere. Um, whereas a lot of the other companies try to lock you into these contracts, and you know you don't know if uh, you're going to be happy with the service or not. Um, so it's very much uh, we're we're only you're only paying money when work is being done, and uh, you're only getting paid when work is being done. That, that seems very much sort of part of the Bitcoin philosophy. Proof of work. Yeah, exactly. Now, do you go along with the sort of other sort of idea that is associated with that sometimes, which is that Bitcoin businesses can be incredibly small and nimble. And, you know, if, if uptime goes very well, it may still only have a staff of four or five, but be a big, big and mature business. Yeah, I think... Um in terms of uh, like business growth, I think uh, inevitably, uh, you know, of course, it all comes down to a numbers game. You have to you have to protect your bottom line. But I think um, if you're if you're making money and you're doing well in this space, right? Why wouldn't you invest more to get more people in and create like like feed into that network effect and grow the value of your investment? So, what would that would that be money to advertise for more people doing the tests if, or what? If I had to put on a salary and pay someone, you know, a, a fair amount of money to go and onboard, you know, five more big enterprise customers, the network effect that is created by that is greater than just those five customers worth of business. Right. So you're looking at uh, generating business from the people who pay you for the work rather than improving your network of testing people I'm I'm looking at both I think that if you have a market where people can make free money on the internet that they'll always go for it that's not a problem you know that's not a problem yeah Um, and if it is you just adjust your pricing model uh, to to meet their demands but um, when it comes to uh, what I'm what I'm getting at is like if you onboarded Google to your uptime testing service that's based on BSV the effects of that for your company are beyond just the income that Google is paying you to do these tests, right? Because now this company is aware of this global, scalable platform that they can build their business on. And by doing so, they're increasing the value of your investment. In BSV? Yes. Yeah. So that is, uh, we were both at the boot camp in Bali and one of the sort of themes there, I think, was that what's good for one BSV startup is good for all BSV startups. Certainly, uh, the, in in the sense that it's uh, it's friendly competition, right? Like we do want to compete. Uh, I mean, we mostly want to compete with other types of businesses, but there is some in, in internal competition as well. But it's friendly, right? Like it, it, even if my business is uh, outcompeted by someone who does it better than me, I still benefit as a holder of uh, of BSV. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So it's it's friendly, not just because we're all nice people, but no, it, because it, there's an economic it's side it, to that. Yes, it's in our rational self-interest to uh, to pursue it in such a fashion. Yeah. Now, you're based in Australia, but you've lived in Hong Kong. Yes. Do you think that for those of us who are from Europe or from the United States, North America, have a slightly different view of the whole Bitcoin ecosystem. Is, the, is there a sort of Asian and Australian mentality around this business that is slightly different? Yeah, so I think um, there's a lot of things happening in the East that the West is not aware of. And uh, 
I think more and more you're going to see these things coming out. Um, all I can say is like learn Chinese. It's uh, it's really um, it's really amazing to see how quickly they are they're building things on this platform. You know, um, they're excited about it. They're they're really hardworking, and there's been some really creative stuff come out of uh, some Chinese teams that I've been speaking to. Um, and you speak Mandarin, do you? I speak Mandarin, Cantonese, and Hakka. They're the three Chinese dialects that I know. Well, wow, how did you manage that? Um, I like languages. I, I don't know. I, I, I guess um, when you do business with people, you, you learn a couple of things to try and uh, befriend them. And, you know, over time you learn a couple more little things and like all of a sudden, oh, I can speak this language. In fact, uh, <laughs> coming to Korea, it's the first time going to a country where I don't speak the language. <laughs> yes, my Korean is not very good. I can say, you know, 안녕하세요. Uh, 내이름니다 Like, hi, my name's Dean. And you just, 사람. I'm Australian. That's about it. <laughs> well, did you just learn that between now yeah. and yesterday evening when you arrived? Uh, yeah, on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and could you read that, or is it just? Oh uh, yeah, I can read. I can read Korean. Korean's very easy to read. It's just, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very easy to read. In fact, the alphabet is much simpler than the uh, the Roman alphabet that we use for English. But um, speaking it. It's a very different kettle of fish. Well, I think, you know, even with what you just said, you'd, you'd be doing well in restaurants and things. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only day one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've the, I learned the most important one. It's just, it's a, make juju say, oh, it's like, give me a beer. <laughs> As an Australian, that's pretty important. <laughs> just getting back to the whole um, development of BSV. Yeah. There's a huge emphasis at the moment on transactions on the blockchain yeah. a year ago that was m much more of a sort of specialist interest I think yeah. we were still talking about um, people using BSV to, to buy their beer in whatever language they were right I mean how do you see that debate now I mean is is it uh, have we gone too far in the direction of sort of forgetting about the sort of actual currency and money side of it do you think so I think uh, there's, there's some very interesting arguments here, right? Like some people will take one side and go, oh, so you're building, like you're rebuilding building the internet on the blockchain. So like, what does that have to do with peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash, right? right. But if you actually, uh, if you read uh, Mises and uh, all of these people. Um, Sorry, who? Uh, Mises, uh, one of the greatest Austrian economists, uh, basically, uh, talked about praxeology and um, all of these things uh, but yeah if you read if you read Mises uh, he, he speaks he speaks about something known as the regression theorem where uh, currency cannot just be spawned out of a vacuum uh, it has to come from some kind of a use case so if you look at like uh, in the world war in World War two like people would trade cigarettes instead of like paper money because they were they had utility, they were worth more. If you look at, um, I can't remember, there was an African nation which basically ended up using phone credits instead of their national currency because it had utility. So I think um, when it comes to building a currency, uh, if you want it to last, right, you know, good money always drives out bad money. I think if you want your currency to last, it has to be based upon some kind of fundamental use case. Now that used to be a simpler way of storing gold. But uh, if you look at history, 
every time in history that we went from gold to debasing that currency to something else, civilization eventually collapsed because we were pursuing unsustainable uh, growth. Right. So basically, the idea is that a currency needs to be built on top of something that is actually worth something to people anyway. Yes. Uh, consider the concept of like uh, exchange versus secondary exchange. So exchange being if you really, really wanted my phone and I really, really wanted your baseball card and you're like, I want your phone. I'm like, I want your baseball card. Oh, we could just swap. Right. And that would be like the most convenient form of transacting. Right. Which is an immediate exchange. In order for us to do this with a secondary exchange, having something in the middle, that something has to have a mutually recognized value, right? Now that value could be based upon utility. It could be based upon some kind of previous uh, past value. For example, like gold has always appreciated in value over time, like over long enough time periods. Um, so it can be past recognized value. It can be mutually recognized um, utility. Um, or it can just be a mass delusion, right? As in, this is worth a dollar because we believe this is a dollar, mm -hmm. right? I think that utility becomes past value, past recognized value. And that's uh, very much what the regression theorem is based upon. So if a currency has a use, it has a value. Uh, if something has a use, it could be used in terms of secondary exchange. Right. So you're saying in a way that there is no absolute distinction between a currency and something that people value in its own in, their, in its own yeah. right. I mean, consider that consider that what you value changes day to day. Right. You right, might now right now you might uh, value gold higher than water. Hmm. But if you had just been walking through the Sahara hmm. Desert for a week, maybe not. OK, right? but with that in mind, yes where does that leave us in the question of transactions as the way forward for BSV versus thinking of it as a currency? I think the urgency towards transactions is very much uh, an understanding that we're coming up to um, what, what people call the halfening. And so by increasing the amount of transactions on chain, we scale up the fee markets with the, uh, the fee, the fee um, rewards for the, with, with the size of the blocks, um, which means that it will be more attractive to miners more people will mine the currency uh, and then that will increase the security of the currency and the hardness of the money itself. So I think it's very much, it's coming from that sort of perspective. But, but that sort of in a way is slightly separate from the question of whether the value of the system is in the transaction uh, utility and the storage of data or the storage of money, for want of a better word. Yes, I think it's, it's interesting. I think... Uh, could, could we almost forget BSV as money, do you think, and still have a successful system? I think that anything that can be transacted virtually that has use and value is automatically subject to market forces and therefore right. it can be used as a medium and so of exchange. So in a way, what, as you were saying with uptime, the value of being able to make very, very small uh, payments to people yeah. Yeah. is in a way that the unique thing that is going to make this system work. Yeah, I think I think uh, the, the, the unique thing that makes this system work is like you have the ability to value information on a very small scale, which that information is far more valuable than information that you can purchase on a large scale. But until now, there's been no way to sort of value it hmm. 
um, as you're going. And one of the one of the sort of easy to understand examples of that is Twitch, where it's like Twitter, but if people like what you've posted, yeah, you get a little bit of payment for yeah. it. But it does change that it does change the system as well, doesn't it? Because when you put financial incentives into a system, direct financial incentives, it it is going to change people's behaviour. Uh, absolutely. I mean, people with useful information, they're going to earn money. Hmm. That information itself is going to be valued. You're going to be able to measure this value. Hmm. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of the, the sort of the long tail uh, question about the internet, where the great thing about selling books on Amazon, for instance, is that a very rare book uh, wouldn't be available at your local bookshop, but that has an e economic value oh, on yes. Amazon because yeah. those you know small number of people have access to it there and suddenly there's a market for it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th I think the, the point is um, there's a lot of there's a lot of you know information out there, but it, it's mostly noise. So we're basically monetizing information. We're monetizing useful information. Yeah. Because useless information will not receive a monetary value. It might, to some subjectively, it might have value to someone. But you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of crap out there, you know, um, that no one cares about. Right. And we're currently, as they say, living in the information age. We've got data everywhere on like everything. Yes. The problem is like filtering out what we care about and what we don't. Hmm. So we talked a bit about the, the sort of theory and the economic theory behind sure. BSV. Yeah. How do you see it in practical terms over the next year or two? Are we, are we going to, is the ordinary person going to be aware of this revolution taking place or is the revolution going to be taking place? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, personally, I, I think I focus on creating value. I think if you create a system that's valuable, um, you know, to people like businesses, for example, um, I think that you know greater adoption comes about. Imagine if like Amazon were paying for all of their uh, their data services in 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 this in BSV, right? And then all of a sudden they need to have BSV to be able to pay for these services. And then how do they get BSV? Well, they could just charge people in BSV, right? So I think uh, a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, you're, you're creating a market. Hmm. You're, you're building a market based upon valuable information. I mean, I can sort of see a vision of how this could all work if everybody had adopted it. But there's a second question as to how we get from here to there, really, I think, isn't there? Yes, I, I personally think the way forward is, you know, create value. If you create something valuable, businesses will use it. If businesses use it, they'll need the currency as the medium of exchange to engage in these services. Um, and that's where you'll see really widespread adoption. There's a lot of development work going on in BSV. That's kind of obvious. But how long will it be before we can be absolutely sure that this is going to work, do you think? Yeah, I think... Um, Look, it's been it's been ten years since Bitcoin has been invented. It's become a household name. Most people they might not know what cryptocurrency or blockchain is, but most people have heard of Bitcoin now. Um, and I don't have a very good impression. Yeah, yes, yes. I think uh, I think that when we create something valuable, that we'll see the adoption come from that. And um, I think you know the now the cat's out of the bag, right? This idea is not going to go away. It will like it's already working 
on some scale. The question is, can we scale up to meet the needs of these gigantic industries? And that's, that's what this is all about. That's the whole reason why I'm bullish on this particular blockchain, um, because not only is it a continuation of what started 10 years ago, and if someone's finally doing you know, what the white paper said, um, it has the ability to scale to meet global demand for a plethora of different industries. Um, I mean, I think I think it's only a matter of time, but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't define it in terms of how many years or how many months until you know it's obvious that it's going to work. I would say that um, it I think I'd say that it's going to work in every use case where it makes sense for it to work because it's going to be you know quicker, cheaper, more convenient, and in places where it isn't, well, maybe it'll take more time. So in a way, that's a kind of optimistic message because you're you're saying there's not a sort of ticking clock where it's either going to work or it collapses. You're saying we can evolve it slowly and step by step, really, and that that, that will be sufficient. I, I would say that um, you know, every time someone creates a valuable application for the blockchain, um, for, for the BSV blockchain, you see, you see value creation increase. And if value creation increases, you know, forget about exchanges and all of these prices and whatever, because that's all really quite ridiculous. But when you're creating value, you're creating something people want, that people need um, to run their businesses, to live their lives, etc. You know, eventually, I think uh, adoption is inevitable if the solution is better than the existing ones out there. Terrific. Thank you very much indeed, Dean. Thank you. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Many thanks to Dean Little of Uptime SV. And I wish I could say that in Korean like he can, or even Australian. Thanks for listening and see you next week.